Right, hello and welcome to the Generation Gap Show. My name's Clive Glover and each time on this programme I talk to somebody from a different generation about things which we may or may agree or disagree on. And uh, today I'd like to welcome again, uh, because it's the second time, isn't it, um, Anna. Hello, Anna. Hello. Hi. Right. And now, Anna, you are a Generation Z, according to all the categories of generations, mm. um, which is also known horribly, I think, in some ways, but it's quite an interesting word, as a Genzennial. What do you think of that term? I didn't actually know that's what it stood for. I I knew it was Gen Z, but, oh, it sounds, it sounds quite abstract. I don't know what it means. I know. I heard it um, used by the chairman of a big company who was obviously investigating um, all the sort of things that your generation might want to buy from his company in the future. And he called it a genzennial. And he oh. was actually British rather than American. It sounds very American. It term. does. Anyway, um, basically, it means people who are born in this um, century. So born after the year 2000, which mm. obviously accounts for you yes. as well. Um, and the idea is that you are different in some ways from the previous generation of millennials who get a lot of bad press, I have to say, millennials <laughs> particularly. Um, but I've looked at, I mean, looking at the figures, millennials are people who are up to the age of perhaps 35 now. So actually, at least half the workforce are actually millennials, anyone between sort of 19 now and um, 35. Yeah. So they're not exactly sort of out in the stick somewhere they are people who are very much involved in the real world at the moment yeah and definitely. I, i'm always on their side so anyway so you uh, as a generation z one of the things that comes out very strongly from the reports being done on you not you personally i expect <laughs> um, <laughs> is that you are very much more um, environmentally aware than even the millennials as well as previous generations and mm. we'll just investigate that issue today one of the other things is that you're called digital natives the idea is being that obviously you've grown up with all this amazing technology, which I mean we're both using right now, and I'm quite familiar with. But to me, if you'd shown me like a, a sort of smartphone back when I was your age in the 1960s, say, yeah, uh, it would look like magic, frankly, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> certainly science fiction. Definitely. Um, so we all got used to this stuff. Anyway, mm. so let's talk about the environmental things now. Firstly. Um, do you think that it's true that you and your sort of friends are particularly environmentally aware? Yes, I'd, I'd like to think so. I think on the whole, our generation are, like, I think there's a lot, like most of us are, are compared to maybe previous generations when it was only groups of people, because I think social media, as with a lot of things, has a plot, has a part to play because so much information is spread on there. And also it immobilises people to get involved in movements and to make changes and also to attend climate marches and talks, etc. So Right. So, I mean, the thing is, um, I use the term aware because I wanted to really sort of probe you a little bit on what it is that you... Um, are aware of in terms of environmental issues because obviously we all get these sort of scare stories in the media about you know the the climate change particularly and what it may mean in future in terms of storms and floods and all mm. the rest of it um, and obviously the effect that would have on the way we live because for example obviously if there's flooding it may ruin a lot of um, agricultural uh, crops and so on animals yeah. so therefore it, it may be that we have sort of famines in the world and this sort of thing and it's really uh, the the image is very much of a sort of horror movie type image that if we don't do something whatever mm. that something is 
um, then obviously this is the world which will happen in 20 years, 30 years, 50 years time. And again, the timescales are a bit sort of um, all over the place in my view as well. But um, is that the sort of picture that you think is, is the one that you're worried about? Yes, because I think because we are the younger generation, I think we are more worried about maybe the, the future effects of climate change because we might have to live through them and then our children might have to live through them. Um, I think as well, Greta Thunberg is really pushes that and how pressing climate change is. And because she's young, I think a lot of young people look up to her um, because I'd say she's probably more relatable maybe than an adult and she's really inspiring to us. So I think, yeah, I definitely think that is a big concern of ours to do with climate. Um, obviously, there's also a sort of blame thing, which, I mean, Greta has not necessarily blamed in the sense that she's told the politicians they've got to do something right now. Mm. Um, but she's not necessarily saying, but it's all your fault in the first place, because I think that um, from, my, from my perspective, obviously, uh, as an older person, I can remember all sorts of things and the environmental movement and so on has been around for actually quite a long time. Mm. It really comes out of the sort of hippie generation of the 1960s yes. in many ways. It does. So it's, that goes back 50 or 60 years already. The awareness of things are happening, which we need to be aware of. Mm. Um, but obviously, I think it's now very much a mainstream understanding, although there's still people who don't believe it, which is a bit strange. Um, I know. I don't understand that. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you know, I think it's always fair for people to challenge things that other people are saying. I don't disagree with that. Mm, yeah. But obviously when there's there's clear evidence of things happening, which I think is very true, um, it's harder to say, no, no, nothing's happening. Everything will be okay. Just sort of ignore it. Uh, isn't mm, really deniers. a practical thing to do. Yeah, deniers. That's the phrase I was trying to get there. Um, yeah. <laughs> so... What to you? What for you are the sort of main issues that you think are uh, the ones that need to be addressed? Can you sort of list? I mean, we've already mentioned obviously the climate change is perhaps the driver of most of them, um, but what are the things that you think are, are the uh, other ones? What driving the climate crisis? Do you mean? Well, no, I mean what the other environmental issues that you think are the most important, perhaps to tackle first, or the the one the biggest ones we need to deal with. Well, I suppose it does link to climate change because I think that's what a lot of environmental issues do link to but definitely um the way that animals are like harvested and um fed and transported in that whole process because that contributes massively to like CO2 emissions and because there's such a global demand for like meat products and animal products that's just not really slowing down at all and I think that's causing a lot of issues. But also there's things like deforestation, which is a massive issue because that destroys people's way of lives. And also a lot of um, ecosystems and animals, habitats, etc. So, yeah, I think that is also quite a pressing issue. Okay, no, they're good ones. And I think um, obviously one of the other trends which is very noticeable with young people is um, towards uh, becoming vegetarianism, vegetarians or uh, vegans even. Mm. Um, and both of those were sort of, well, I, I think vegetarianism has been around for a long time, of course, and many people in the world are vegetarians because of religious beliefs, for example, and they always have been. Um, but it's really uh, become a bit more mainstream in, in Western countries. Yeah. And obviously, some people justify that on the basis of the effects on environment of um, basically, as you say, producing meat. 
um, but others do it for moral reasons. And I think that's um, obviously, <laughs> again, something which is perhaps uh, prominent amongst some young people. Yeah. Um, so do you think that, I mean, one of the things then, let me just throw a question. Supposing the vast majority of people in this country became vegetarians, what do you think that would achieve in terms of uh, tackling environmental issues? Well, I think it would like massively decrease the issue of the whole animal agriculture because like feeding um, grain and water to farm animals and then killing them, processing, transporting, transporting them is so energy intensive that it just uses a lot of fuels, which then um, is negative also for the climate, but also animals themselves and also like the manure they produce releases greenhouse gases. So the more they're in demand, the more gases they produce. Um and also I found this fact that says that on average it takes about 11 times as much fossil fuels to produce a um, colony of animal protein than um, growth pro- than grain protein, sorry. So I think that just proves how unenvironmentally friendly the whole ag- um, animal agricultural industry is. We all have the little joke about um, how um, CO2 is produced by cows from their rear ends. Yeah. And that's a major a major issue. It's, it's methane, sorry, not CO2. And so that's one of these sort of issues that keeps coming up. And mm. if you then sort of work out how many cows there are in the country and how much they all give out every day and work out what the volume of that is, then obviously it comes out to a fairly big number, which you say, oh, no, we need to stop this. Um, but I'm interested because I think that um, I... For example, I'm not a vegetarian, but I have tried vegetarian products as a matter of interest. Uh, I mean, obviously, I eat vegetables, but I mean, the point is that the, the manufactured vegetarian products worry me because I think that they are manufactured food in, a, in big factories. And I'm not convinced they are sort of better healthy uh, things for you just because they have a vegetarian label on them to some extent. Mm. And so I'm worried that the the transition from meat products to vegetarian would go that same way. You'd start just having more and more processed food, but just with a vegetarian base rather than meat products. And that, yeah. you know, because we have to face it, much of what we eat is these days is um, sort of ready meal type things from supermarkets. I was going to say also you never really know what additives or like preservatives because most food has preservatives in it so you never really know exactly what you're eating i don't think well that's kind of where i'm going that that obviously at the moment um there's a sort of an association of vegetarian things being better uh, better for you and healthy for you and if you obviously start with real vegetables and just you know cook I know potatoes and carrots and kale or whatever else you're eating Mm. that obviously is better for you than some processed version of that but I'm not convinced that just having sort of processed vegetarian food is better for you in fact it may be worse quite often probably is Um, yeah yeah, precisely so I'm worried about that sort of thing and I think that also um, I'm going to argue in favor of some meat production in the sense that um the image we have of the countryside with sort of cows contentedly eating grass in the fields and so on is obviously one which is real in this country to some extent, but obviously it's a minority. And much of the um, 
meat is produced on more intensive basis. Um, we have tried to cut down things like this, but I mean, obviously, there are these great big sheds full of chickens which never see much daylight. No. Um, for the, ch- the cheap chickens in your supermarket, the sort of thing that uh, Hugh Fernley Whittensall's been com- campaigning against for years. Um, yeah. And other animals like that. So there is a balance. And I understand that if you have a cow in a field eating grass all the time, the amount of methane it gives off is far less than actually with ones who are basically in barns most of the time and are fed various sort of protein supplements and so on yes. rather than natural food. Yeah. So I suppose what I'm saying, I'm, I'm being Prince Charles here, I'm probably <laughs> saying it's organic farming is a different animal from the, that's not the right word, but is completely different from the sort of manufactured ones. Yeah. And in particular, the, the kind of processing that goes on in countries like the United States or Brazil, where uh, animals like cows basically are in huge barns and never really go out to see daylight no. um, is the kind of thing which I think is the, the real problem. Yeah. And the, the sort of the flows of water and things that wash those places then go into rivers and they cause the pollution because of all the chemicals and things that are being used. And it's that kind of stuff which is causing the real big um, pollution problems uh, rather than if we, I, I know we can't really do this, but if we sort of... Yeah waved a magic wand and all the farms in this country were suddenly organic and had fewer animals and mm. everything was everything was back to the old days and it looked like the old-fashioned farms. I mean, mm. I'm not arguing to go backwards, but it's the point is that what was done in those days was not having the sort of effect on the environment that the modern methods are. No, because now it's so there's so much focus on mass production of food. So I think that means that there's a lot of... Sh- well, trying to farmers I suppose and the whole animal agriculture industry is trying to be more efficient but then that also comes at an expense to the climate so it's kind of that balance but then I think we have a responsibility as consumers even though um, I do actually consume meat product but I'm trying to work on that but um you don't have to apologize for that it's quite yeah normal. but I know but I think it I do feel bad about it when I start because I think it's easy to lead your everyday life and not think about like what that impacts having you going to a supermarket and buying meat products I I don't think about that enough but anyway I think there is a responsibility on consumers because obviously it's supply and demand but that would have to be a, like a global um kind of movement if people if meat consumption is to reduce and therefore to have less of an impact on climate like the whole industry there's two arguments there one is of course that you could perhaps um try and make sure you know more about the source of the meat you're eating yeah that's it so for example somewhere like around here we are lucky to have um local farms still in this area and Mm. you can go to a farm shop or there's several of them around in the area around st albans um, and buy meat which you know came from the farm up the road somewhere and you know if you go to that farm you can see the animals in the field who will subsequently be providing the meat you eat in a few months time yeah. um, and that is, that is sort of more sustainable farming yeah I and I think that you can you can feel that that would be you were contributing in that way to, towards that I was just going to say the other thing was really that obviously you know that to make an impact on the world you need hundreds or thousands or millions of people to do things and change things but you can't force them to do that you can't really even encourage them to do that so the question is if what you do personally and perhaps your family your friends do 
will that make an impact? Well, no, it won't if it's just you and your friends. But if other people all follow the same sort of um, ideas, then over time, you will get a really big change. And that yeah. has happened before. I mean, you know, big companies want to sell stuff. And they, they do recognise if suddenly somebody says, no, no, this particular product is bad for the environment, we're not going to buy it anymore, then the sales drop. They will notice that. They will do something about it and they will perhaps, you know, reformulate it or change what they're selling yeah. to meet the demand. That's really what we're saying about your generation. If you're indicating well in advance that actually you don't want processed food, you want it to be natural food or you want it to be more vegetarian or whatever. Yeah. Those messages will get through, but you it's, you know, you can do your bit individually. Um, but then that combines to form, you know, everybody's starting to do those things. The companies will notice. Otherwise they go out of business. They don't want to do that. No, exactly. They have to adapt to the their market, don't they? I was also gonna say that I think there is a problem with I think it's great how local produce and is more sustainable, but at the same time, local produce is usually a lot more expensive and that's really unaffordable for a lot of people. So they're just they were more they'd be more likely to go to the supermarket where it's mass produced meat and it's less expensive. So I think that that's a big problem because not everyone can like because from personal experience, um, as a family, we've sometimes got local meat. And although it's a lot more tasty, in my opinion, and um, and just nicer, and you can just tell it's like less fatty and just more, uh, I don't know if pure is the right word, but less processed, I suppose. It's just a lot more expensive. And I think buying that on a daily basis is, or weekly basis is just unrealistic for a lot of people. Right, but then of course we have been used to having cheaper food, yeah. Because the supermarkets have been able to deliver that, so there is a balance. And you're right. That's I mean, true. I think also there was a study done by I think it was something like Friends of the Earth in in St Albans, and they worked out how much land area would be needed to provide enough food to feed the population of St Albans. And as I remember, the answer was I think three times the amount of area of the whole city. Really? <laughs> so, yeah, that's the amount, and that's the other issue. You can't grow locally everything that you need for the number of people who live there no. so you have to have a sort of realistic target mm. maybe you can get up to 50 percent being provided by farms within you know 20 miles or something like that yeah and that's the sort of target i think is a realistic sort of thing that people can do yeah and we have you know, quite a few people who do um, provide local food in St Albans. And if you go along things like the farmer's market once a month, you will find out the sort of things available. You know, local yeah. cheeses. Is yeah. Interesting. I think that's why it's important as well to support like local and independent businesses rather than chains, because chains are usually a lot, it's a lot more mass produced and they, they, yeah, I just think it's more sustainable. But I think people need to get out of the habit of, of say going to starbucks over like a local like like there's a one in st almost called like nakora or something and that's way more that's i think that's an individual business whereas people are more likely to go to train to chain when i think that's not as good because it's not supporting local industry you could say the same for meat products well we don't have much grown coffee grown locally of course (laughs) no yeah that's true yeah true actually yeah true Probably the same yeah, I mean, place that it came from, Starbucks and... Well, I mean, the, there are certain countries around the world that make coffee. And, of course, it's entirely reasonable that in this country we grow various vegetables, we, we bring up various animals who can live here happily. Yeah. But we're never going to be growing bananas or pineapples no. in this country. Our so climate. we have to trade for them. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, I mean, that's 
you know, it's not saying we don't trade things, we don't buy stuff from overseas and whatever, um, but it is really making the best use of what we have got here and what we can grow. Yeah, true. And of course, the, the, the diet in this country back in the sort of 1950s and so on was a bit of a joke around the world. Our food was terrible. <laughs> you sort of had cab- cabbages you boiled for 20 minutes mm. before they went sort of a white mush and that's how you ate them. Yes. Um, and that, and obviously over time and certainly by now we have much better uh, food. But a lot of that is imported food and that's one of the issues as well because we need to be able to uh, think about what we can grow locally and you know perhaps encourage people i mean for example in um i think uh, park street area south of st albans it was yeah. very famous 100 years ago for watercress really and there's still these big these big lakes there which now are just sort of empty lakes but they were actually a place where they grew lots of watercress and watercress was very much uh, liked in the Victorian period, particularly as a sort of well, as a vegetable. Obviously, yeah. you had it with all your sandwiches and you eat it with salads and the rest of it. And now it's been replaced by various sort of uh, foreign types lettuces, you know, Italian uh, foods and so on. Yeah, but it's very nutritious, and it's one of those things I've often wondered: can't somebody go to London Colney and start growing? growing um, also Park Street and growing um, watercress again. There's another yeah. one in London Colney, actually, I remember now. Um, and that sort of thing, you, you say, well, is it something where there could be a new viable business? I throw that okay. out to anybody who wants to do it. It's a great yes. idea. Um, and, and you know, we can sort of adapt again to things which are more sustainable and things we can grow locally and all the rest of it. Mm, I agree. I also think lockdown has had quite a positive effect on people um, growing some of their own food because people have, I think gardening has become quite an outlet for people to get outside, to have a hobby, to have a purpose in their day, seeing as they're not working or traveling to work um, for the majority of people. So I think that it can promote, sorry, with allotments and that can, I know that's not big scale at all, but I've, our family live um, near Compton and they actually grow a lot of, quite a lot of their own vegetables and like mint and stuff, which I think if everyone did that, then there would be less of a demand on like, vegetables i mean from the uh supermarket but then that doesn't really combat the whole meat issue but i do have an allotment and unfortunately this year for various reasons we didn't really get around to planting very much stuff at the beginning of the year so we missed out a lot of stuff but over the years we've had it i mean one of the things i think the first discovery i made was that if you grow your own potatoes which is very boring on the face of it potatoes you've grown yourself do actually taste of something Mm. It's really quite interesting. You know, you say, oh, that's interesting. It's got a taste. Yeah. Whereas potatoes you buy from anywhere else don't generally taste of anything much. No. Um, so, and obviously other things, we, we've had some successes what we can grow. And obviously, we, <laughs> I couldn't feed the family on what we grow in our allotment. But um, there's always extra bits and pieces we can bring from there. We say, this is really nice. It's only picked 10 minutes ago. Yeah, no, there's, there's, something, there's something quite um, like special about that, I think. We've had loads and loads of fruit. We got several fruit bushes, and we've planted more, and they've grown big. And we, my wife has spent hours making tons of jam from all sorts of interesting Ooh, fruits. Lovely, and you can and make. We've still got some from last that. year and the year before. We've really, got, you can make um, like we have apples in our garden, and we also got um, some plums. I think from our from my auntie, and we make like um, crumbles, as in like apple crumble and stuff. Exactly, in the old-fashioned British fruit puddings. Yeah. It's really good. Steam, pud- steam puddings with fruit in, they're nice. Yeah. Yep, yeah, that's it. 
Well, these are the kind of things you won't find on a menu in a local restaurant because they no. don't do that sort of stuff anymore. No. It's exactly what home pubs. cooking was about in the past. Yeah. Yeah, pubs are getting back into it. Yeah, exactly. Right. So um, anyway, I think we're, we're running out of time now, actually, already, because it always happens when we start these conversations. Yeah. Um, so I think we're probably agreeing on most things, aren't we, really? But mm. it's a question of um, people doing in- individual things and everybody doing those things will add up to being lots of people doing things and everybody doing it that's the way to make changes would you like to sum up what you think we've discussed yes we spoke about how um although some vegetarian food might be is usually seen as being like better for the planet and climate change and everything i think um some of that can be quite processed so is it actually nutritionally better for us or like we don't even know what's in it sometimes so that can be especially with vegan food uh, like sometimes I look at it I'm just like I don't really know what's in that but anyway um we also spoke about like how intensive meat farming and like manufactured farming is very like quite bad for the planet because animals kept in very like close proximity and also fed a lot of kind of additives just to um so they produce more meat which is just for mass production but then that they usually produce more methane etc that has a negative impact um we also spoke about like how sustainable farming and local local products are although better for the, um in for the climate because and for the environment because um things are grown locally and doesn't they don't have to be transported which um is worse off for the planet and um, they are usually more expensive which is quite unaffordable for a lot of people so you could argue that's not very sustainable um and yeah we also spoke about how people can make a difference locally with allotments and kind of go back to the war era where people were growing their own food and using that to fuel a lot of their meals so yeah that was very good actually thank you very much for that okay. <laughs> um okay all right i think we've covered some of these things we probably could do three or four more programs about this about other things in terms of environmental changes maybe we will um but we're sort of encroaching onto uh, our friend amanda's uh, program if you listen to environment matters oh yeah yeah which is, um which is on every week uh, she knows far more about these things than i do so um, <laughs> i always defer, defer to her greater knowledge anyway well thanks very much anna for doing this and um nice to You're speak to you again yes it was really and, nice um, so uh, we'll uh, we'll do it again certainly soon Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Generation Gap Show here on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you'll listen again to the show. You can subscribe from iTunes, Google Play and of course from Radio Verulam's own website, radioverulam.com.